Well, good morning. Well, good morning, Gateway family. It is great to see those of you who are able to gather with us in person this morning. I am thrilled that we get to meet together. I know we have a lot more worshiping from home online than we normally have, and so we're thankful that you get to join in. We know this COVID is spiking in our area, and many people have been sick not only with COVID, but with the cold flu or the colds that's going around. We know that many of you are worshiping from home, and we're so thankful you can still tune in on that. Just to remind you, it's our last morning of vacation Bible school on Sunday, so our kids are all back in the gym getting the last morning of that with many of their volunteers as well, so we remember to pray for them as they wrap up vacation Bible school and then return to the normal Sunday morning schedule for them next week. Just a few reminders for us as we get started this morning. First of all, Discover Gateway is today. This is the lunch for those who are interested in learning more about Gateway. That class is basically filled up for today, but if you're interested in doing that and we're not signed up for today, just let me know. We'll get you in for a future one as well. And if you are coming today, you should already have an email from us, a directions to my house. If you don't have that, please come see me, um, and I'll be glad to get that information to you. Also this afternoon at four o'clock is a prayer gathering here in this room, a chance to get together for small group prayer. just want to remind you about that. Now, for the men in particular, I want to let you know we have a men's cookout this coming Tuesday at my house. It'll be at 6 p.m. You don't need to bring anything. Burgers and hot dogs and drinks and chips and desserts are all being provided. We'd love for you to come and just have a chance to get to know one another better and just enjoy the time together. I do need you to register so we know how much food to have. We don't want to have a cookout and not have enough burgers and hot dogs for you. So if you just go to gatewaybaptist.com, click on news and events, and there's a place there you'll see the same logo, men's cookout, and just click on there. There's no cost. Just register so we know you are coming. We also have a special opportunity coming up this coming Wednesday. It's a serve evening at Capitol Heights Middle School. So Seth, come on up and tell us about that and let people know how they can be involved. Hey, y'all. I'm Seth Rodebeck, one of the elders here. And yeah, so we're doing a, our annual serve day at Capitol Heights Middle School this Wednesday, 5.30 p.m. Y'all coming out. We're going to have chicken sandwiches, that kind of thing ready for you. But it's just an opportunity. It's one of the few, one of the only opportunities we have each year as a whole church to come together and serve our community. So we're going to go to the school. We're going to pick up trash. We're going to spread pine straw. We're going to weed eat, trim bushes, all that. But even if you're not able to do physical labor, please come because it's also a time for us to pray over the campus. We're able to walk through the building. One of our own, Ashley Ingerswin, is actually going to start teaching at Capitol Heights this year. So hopefully we'll be able to go to her classroom and pray specifically over her classroom. It's just going to be a wonderful evening just to really declare to our community our love of Christ and to serve them. So please come out. Either um, there's a a link to, to register on the website. Many of you already have, or just send me a text and email, or just let me know that you're coming so we can make sure and have enough food for you. But thanks so much for coming and hope to see you there on Wednesday. Thanks, Seth. So we hope you'll be out there for it. And parents, you're welcome to bring your kids with you to it. I'll have my kids, including my one-year-old out there at it. And so we'd love for you to bring the whole family with you and join us as we get to bless this school and pray over it. There's two other quick announcements for you. A week from Wednesday, the 18th of the month, we're resuming Wednesday night activities, Lord willing. That would be the youth Bible study. That'd be the kids club for the children, preschool, childcare, a women's Bible study, as well as we're gonna have a men's book study of Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor, connecting our faith with our works. There's a lot of fun activities happening on Wednesday evenings. We'll start back a week from Wednesday. One final announcement, and it's a Christmas announcement. Yes, it is August, but Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes are here. We do this each year as a church. This is a great way just to pack a shoebox with gifts for kids, and it gets taken by Samaritan's Purse all over the world to unreached people groups, and the kids get these gifts, but it doesn't stop with the gifts. The kids get to hear the gospel, and they get Bibles, and they get literature. They get invited to Bible studies. This is a great chance for filling a little shoebox of gifts to help practically get the gospel 
to the ends of the earth. Now, why are we announcing it now? Because it's back to school sales, right? And so it's a great time. Many of you like to stock your shoe boxes with crayons and school supplies and things. And this is the best time of year to buy those. So if you want to go ahead and get your box, they're in the hallway outside the church office. If you're online, you're welcome to come get them next Sunday, or you can even come pick it up during the week. There's a huge stack of them out in the hallway. They're just come pick up one. Inside each box is already a brochure about how to pack your shoe box. There's a follow me label if you want to see where your box goes. So that's all out there. We'd love for you to take part in that this year. They're not due till November but we want you to go and get your boxes if you want to start filling them while things are on sale. As we prepare to sing to the Lord this morning, can I ask you to stand, please? I want to read from God's Word to us this morning from Psalm number 113. We're begin this morning singing the psalm, Blessed Be Your Name. I just want to remind us of the Scripture's call for us to do that. Psalm 113 says, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? Gateway family, we, whether we're here, whether we're at home online, we get to praise the name of the Lord this morning. For some of you, that may be a little bit hard thing to do. It's been a hard week for you. You find your mind is distracted with things. I just want to remind us that we're made to worship the Lord. And even on the hard days, We still get to praise the name of the Lord and think about his character and refocus on him as we praise him. Some of you, it's going to be easier to do that. You're coming off of kind of a good week and you're feeling good. Just want to remind us all the blessings we have have come from us. We're going to sing that back to the Lord this morning. Whether we're walking through the desert or whether we're in a good place right now, blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's praise him together this morning. Yes, as Grady said, we are going to sing Blessed Be Your Name. And uh, this song is taken, it's an older song, many of you probably know it, but it's uh, written by Matt Redman out of the book of Job. And I just want to touch on some of the stuff in that book. So as we sing this song, it's, each verse it starts with a blessing in the sense of like abundance, like the land that's plentiful when things are going good. And then it ends that verse when things are going bad. But each time you're blessing the name of the Lord. So if you look in Job chapter 1, Satan and uh, Jesus have this com- Satan and God have this conversation, and he's saying, "Have you considered my servant Job?" And the um, Lord said to Satan, "Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand." So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and then from there you see throughout the book of Job where he takes and he goes through and he just tests Job. He kills his family. He uh, takes all of his livestock. And um, he's wealthy. Job's friends take and keep on telling him, curse God, curse God and die. Just be done with this. And the thing I find interesting is like you, you have Job where he gets and he says, you give and take away. And we'll sing that bridge at the end of this too. You give and take away, you give and take away. But my heart will still say, blessed be the name. Because it's God who gives and God who takes away. But through this, God gives Satan permission to go and test Job. And when you look at the end of Job, from Job 38 through the end of the chapter, God is silent. He finally answers Job and basically declares his majesty, declares his glory, declares who he is and his sovereignty. And then Job's response to that, his confession and repentance in Job 42 says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. 
I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So at the beginning of Job, you see, as God even says, that Job was a servant of God. But through his testing, through God allowing Satan to test Job, it was God's sovereign plan over that to grow Job's faith. And at the end, Job now says, even though I knew you, now I see you with my eyes. I knew about you by just word. I heard you. I knew who you were. But now I see you through my eyes. I can see you. So uh, let's just pray real quick as we get ready to get started. Father, we thank you, God. You are sovereign over your creation. You are sovereign over all things. Lord, it's been a trying just past year and a half or so, Lord, just through this whole pandemic with COVID, Lord. We have lost loved ones. It has been a struggle for us, anxiety in some of us, God. But you are sovereign over everything, God. You use trials to test us, God, and to strengthen us and to grow us. To have stronger hearts for you, God. To have a stronger faith in you. So, God, we pray that as we look at these trials that we've been going through in our lives, Lord, whether it's even with the pandemic or whether it's just other things, God, may we look at these trials and say, blessed be your name, God, because it is you who works everything, God for our good. If we are in you, all things, good or bad, work together for your glory, God, and for our good. Let's sing this morning. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness blessed be your name and every blessing you pour out I'll turn back to praise when the darkness closes in Lord still I will say blessed be the name of the Lord Blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be your name, when the sun shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name On the road marked with suffering Though there's pain in the offering Blessed be your name Every blessing And every blessing you pour 
pour out I'll turn back to pray When the darkness closes in Lord, still I will say Blessed be the name of the Lord Blessed be the name Blessed be the name of the Lord Blessed be who glorious name You give and take away You give and take away My heart will choose to say Lord, blessed be your name You give and take away Give and take away My heart will choose to say Lord, blessed be your name Blessed be the name of the Lord Blessed be your name Blessed be the name of the Lord Blessed be your glorious name Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your holy name. sun comes up, it's a new day dawning, it's time to sing your song again, whatever may pass and whatever lasts before, let me be sick when the evening comes. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your holy name. name is great and your heart is kind for all your goodness I will keep on seeking ten thousand reasons for my heart to find bless the Lord oh my soul oh my soul Worship His holy name. Sing like never before. 
day when my strength is failing the end draws near and my time has come still my soul will sing your praise unending ten thousand years and then forevermore bless the lord oh my soul oh my soul worship his holy name Yes, I worship your holy name. Lord, I worship your holy name. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is Nothing compares to this What a beautiful name it is The name of Jesus Death could not hold you The veil tore before you Silence of of sin and grace the heavens are roaring the praise of your glory for you are raised to life again you have no rival you have no equal now and forever God you a kingdom yours is a glory yours is a name above all names what a powerful name it is what a powerful name it is the name of Jesus Christ my King what a powerful name it is Nothing can stand against What a powerful name it is The name of Jesus What a powerful name it is The name of Jesus What a powerful name it is The name of Jesus Satisfied with the 
be shaken, I will not be moved. Oh, blessed assurance. What blessed assurance I found in you, I found in you. And I won't be shaken. I will not be moved. And how steadfast your strong hand is keeping me, is keeping me. And I won't be shaken. I will not be moved. Blessed assurance. Thank you for that assurance, God, that we have in you, God, and in your Son, in the blood of Jesus, that you are our steadfast rock on which we can stand, the foundation on which we find footing, and you will not be moved. And God, because you will not be moved, Lord, we have assurance that we are in your grasp, as your word says, none can pluck us from your hand, God. If we are found in you, God, and we are in you, we are clenched until the day of redemption when you come and call your children home, Lord, and we meet you in the air, and we dwell in your presence for all eternity, worshiping you before the throne of God, singing, holy, holy is the Lamb, God. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, God. The payment for our redemption the payment for our lives, God. That blessed assurance, God, that is found in you and you alone, God. So that through whatever trials we go through, Lord, whether the good times, whether the bad, we can say, blessed be the name of the Lord, God, because we know that we are found in you, God. And you are good, and you are holy, and you are sovereign. And all that you do works together for your glory and our good. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your holiness, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Come on up, Taylor. As we think about all the blessings we have, I want to remind us what it says in Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Friends, one of the things that's exciting is watching how God keeps growing missions, partnerships, and opportunities for us to seek to make Christ known among the nations, to take the gospel, the glories we've been singing about this morning, and let people know more about it. So I want you to hear this morning from Taylor Fox. If you've been around Gateway while, you know Taylor well. He grew up here. His dad, William, is one of our elders here. And Taylor and his family are serving in France, seeking to reach college students with the gospel. So he's back in the U.S. for a few weeks, and I've asked him to come give us an update of their ministry and how they're doing. Well, thank you, everyone. Um, just to let you guys know, the reason I, I'm being a little bit more careful today with the mask and with where I'm standing and also how much time I'll be spending with everybody just because I'm about to get on a plane and they're a little bit more hyper on a plane to France than 
than we are a little bit more maybe here. So uh, I've always wanted to be the opening act for my dad. I just wanted to say that. So, um, so let's go to the first slide. So I'm Taylor, and um, my wife, Sarah, she's, she's French. And this is our lovely children, um, Samuel and Lydia. And we're serving, as Grady mentioned, we're serving in Strasbourg, France. And Strasbourg, France, if you look right here on the map, we're right next to Germany. Um, we're known for the, the Strasbourg Cathedral, which if you've ever been to a, a stone cathedral and looked up and you think this is all stone, it's kind of intimidating. We live, uh, so we, Strasbourg used to be for several years, I mean, back and forth. It was German, it was French. So there's a unique culture there. Um, I've been there, this actually in September will mark um, seven years of, of working with the, the navigators in France. Our, this is what I just wanted to show you guys. So Grady mentioned I've been, in, I've been at Gateway for a while. I actually managed to find a picture of my Gateway debut back in 2003. Um, this is me in the middle, and we got Alex. This is what he looks like now. And then we got Rachel. This is what she, she looks like now. Um, so I grew up in this church. Um, I was mentored and discipled by a lot of the men in this church. And so it's really a pleasure to be here, to get to meet new faces, to get to see new people, and, and just to get to share with you guys. Gateway is my sending church. And so first, I just want to say thank you to all of you for um, really anchoring me and supporting me and encouraging me in prayer and uh, in many other ways as well. But we'll move to the next slide. So obviously, I think all of you, the thing that's interesting about my ministry in France to a lot of people is that we speak French and that we are in a faraway country that has the Eiffel Tower. Um, but in a lot of ways, our ministry is not that different from the student ministries you would experience um, in any of the collegiate ministries on the universities here. Um, we do a lot of meeting up, do a lot of one-on-one -on -one discipleship. We do meals, um, food, just like in Alabama. Food is a great way to bring people and then to introduce them to spiritual hunger. I think one of the things that's different about France is outside of being a really old country with a lot of history and a lot of, say, ups and downs historically with Christianity, um, is that I think France is one of those countries that's deceptively poor. And what I mean by that is you can be a country that has a lot of financial prosperity and yet have spiritual poverty. And the, the, the spiritual, I would say, the, the spiritual poverty sometimes is so easy to miss because we have a lot of distractions, a lot of things to satiate our needs. We can drink a lot of things um, that seem to quench our thirst, and then we can kind of line them up and line them up. And we never really fully, at least with other people, ex admit the fact that those things don't satiate our hunger or our thirst. And so, and I think one of the things I would, another thing that mentioned mission, mission, uh, ministry in France is marked by is a very, I would say, a fear of, of, of religion. And there's a fear that if you get excited about your faith, you're going to fight, you're going to probably divide your family, and you're, you're probably going to kill people. Um, so they think lukewarm faith is safe faith because people are going to be tolerant, no one's going to hurt each other. If you get too excited about your faith, you're either in an American uh, religious sect or you're probably going to be somebody who's going to make a lot of problems. And I, and I would say the opposite is my view, which is there's not, the problem's not enough lukewarm people and, and Christians in, in France, it's that there's not enough people actually living out uh, their faith in such a way that people can taste and see and experience the love of Jesus and get to experience his presence and get to listen to people. So that's kind of what we do. Um, this is our ministry in the past. You can see we're all compacted in very small spaces. We'll move to the next slide, which is uh, COVID, um, COVID year, which is, uh, you see, uh, 
us on Zoom, you see us in front of uh, the cathedral. And this year's been very challenging because a lot of people do all their classes online and then they don't want to come around and spend another three hours on, on Zoom with some friends. When we do get to meet together, depending on the restrictions, which there's been three, uh, three lockdowns, very serious lockdowns in France. So it's not been a lot of opportunities, but I wanted to just take a moment to jump off what we've been experiencing this year and to bring an encouragement, which is very short, which is this next verse. So remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Now, I am not... I'm a criminal. I'm not being viewed as a criminal. I'm not in prison. I'm not being chained. But one of the things I thought was interesting about this was this year, there's a lot of feeling of my limits and my ability and my boundaries. All of those are being pulled back. It's like my little neighborhood is getting smaller. Um, I'm not able to do things. There's a lot of restrictions. There's a lot of people say, I'm not sure about this. I'm not interested in this. There's a feeling of being chained in the sense of being confined, um, being held in a place I don't want to be or being held away from places where I want to be with people. And there's also this sense, I think, all of us experience of feeling like, gosh, how, God, how are you going to make things happen in, in my context? How can I do ministry? How can I be with people if I can't be with people? And Zoom feels like a very poor, it's like, it's like trying to experience a fire hose through a straw. It's like uh, you might get a little bit of liquid, but there's nothing there that feels exciting. So one of the things I thought about this was this Paul wrote this in a period of confinement, this is, he was in a, I looked at the, yesterday, he was in Rome, and this is right before he was executed. He's in a prison cell that's in a basement, and there's probably a spring that runs through water, damp. He's in, and the only door to get out of this place is actually a hole in the ceiling. And you are lowered down, and the expectation is they will lower down food to you, but you'll never come out. And... So he's literally confined. He's literally, imagine the end of a ministry where he's been able to do so much, be so many places, experience so many people, and now he's in a place where he's not close to the people he loves. He's not able to minister in the way he feels like, and he has prayer and words of encouragement that he is able to lift up on a string out of his prison cell. And he writes this, basically, I'm chained, but the, the word of God, or God's word, is not chained. And that's the encouragement I want to leave with you guys today, is that we're going to experience a lot of limits and a lot of feeling bound and and not able to go where we want to go or not able to do what we want to do. And the amazing joy in that is as we are bound, as our limits are much more present in our life, that it creates enormous space for God to show how he is way beyond our limits. He's able to surpass and go beyond everything that we are not able to do. And so... That's my little word I wanted to share with you guys today. Obviously, there's, there's things I could share about our ministry. I don't necessarily have enough time to do that because my dad wants all of his 45 minutes. Um, but I have, I have created uh, little baskets, little goodie. This guy called them discovery bags. Um, this is a gimmick because, you know, sugar and, uh, and cake is a way to get people to, to, to take these bags. But inside there are different things from France, different things that we have, along with a little piece of paper that explains what each of these are, what their connection is to French culture. A little thing to stick on your fridge if you want to look at me every day or my children. And uh, I put a couple of boxes over in the corner next to that exit and over here next to this exit. So feel free to grab them on your way out. Um, I don't know how many people are here today, but we think maybe one a family, one a couple, one a single person, we should be fine. So thank you very much for your time.
Well, Taylor, thanks for that update. We're grateful that you're back for a few weeks and praying for you as you head back. As Taylor alluded to, if you haven't picked up on it yet, uh, William Fox, his dad, is actually one of our elders who's preaching today for us. One of the things we start off this year is I wanted you guys as our church family to get to hear from every one of the elders this year. We're making progress through the elder team, and today William is going to be preaching for us, carrying on with the same study we've been doing. We're hitting question 16 from the catechism guiding us this morning, and the question he's preaching on is, what is idolatry? So William's going to come in a minute and do that, but I want to lead us in a prayer time before William comes to teach God's word to us this morning. Father, we are so thankful that we get to approach you in prayer. I pray we wouldn't take lightly the joy and the privilege we have of walking before you and standing before you and talking to you, knowing that you hear and that you care, and that you already know all the needs that we will mention even before we even say them this morning. Lord, we thank you for Taylor and Sarah, and just grateful they've had a time to be back in the States, to spend time with their family. Lord, we're grateful for that. We pray that they're refreshed and ready for it to go back. We do pray for safe travels as Taylor heads back. Lord, I know his family's already back, and that you would keep them healthy and strong for this new season. Give him the wisdom he needs as he keeps seeking to navigate how to make you known in the midst of all the limitations with the COVID crisis. And I pray just your blessings for him and his ministry, that you'll give him a fruit-filled ministry as he seeks to make your glories known, that he would be able to point these students to you and the hope they can only find in you. Father, we, we think about the nations. We pray once again today for the people of North Korea. Father, we think of a nation where there's so much need, so much poverty, so much oppression, so much just hardships to where it's so difficult to even get the gospel in. But Lord, as we think about as Taylor reminded us our limits, Lord, we know that the gospel is not changed. We pray that you will be finding ways, Lord, for the gospel to penetrate into North Korea, for people to find the hope of the gospel there, and that you will just, for the handful of Christians in that country, that you would today strengthen them and encourage them and let them find your presence being their sufficiency and all that they need. Father, we pray for us as a church family. We know that so many families are dealing with sickness right now. For the several families who are battling COVID, we pray your healing grace upon them, Lord, that none would need hospitalization, that you would just strengthen them and enable them to, Lord, to just stand strong today and that you would just be with them. Lord, for the many other families where they don't have COVID, but they have that cold that's going through the city, Lord, we pray for healing for them and for their kids today as well, Lord, that you would encourage them as they're worshiping as families together at home this morning. Lord, we just pray that in your mercy, you might let this virus subside and go away, Lord. We pray for wisdom for us as a church, wisdom for our government leaders, Lord, as we seek to navigate through these difficult days. And Father, we thank you for the blessing of church family and the, the blessing of being able to be together. And Lord, we pray for William as he teaches your word to us this morning, Lord, that you would just bless him, that you would give him just clarity as he seeks to explain to us from your word. And that, Lord, you would, through your Holy Spirit working, open each of our hearts to see areas, Lord, where you desire to grow us and sanctify us and make us more like you. Lord, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. William, come share God's word with us. papers that I have here reflects more my eyesight than, than uh, the length of time. 
but <coughs> we would try to uh, to do that. Let me put these on so I don't have to hold these out so far. So first, I'm William Fox. I'm, I'm uh, an elder here. Am I doing this? All right. I'm, I'm an elder here. I've been an elder here for the last six years. I'm also a teacher at Troy University in the marketing department, so that's where I come from. And Grady mentioned that uh, we are, each of the elders is going to be participating in teaching over the course of the year and at the end of this. You may want to vote at the business meeting and change that policy for the upcoming year, but it'd be too late for me. So uh, I, I uh, appreciated that we went through the Ten Commandments uh, previously, and we're sort of coming out of that. But uh, so many of the, uh, the Ten Commandments apply to other people um, or did previously. And then when you read them now and they don't apply quite to other people near as much as they apply to you. So thank you. For, for real, thank you for doing that. And I, I reflect on that in, in terms of, I think it's in Luke 7, where Jesus is eating uh, with the Pharisee, and the woman comes and weeps on his feet, and he forgives her, and uh, the, the Pharisees are flabbergasted by this. And the, the word that comes out of that is, the person who's forgiven little loves little. The person who is forgiven much loves much. And so I think after sort of going through the Ten Commandments and realizing how much we have been forgiven that we didn't realize comes over in big picture. And I think it applies in the context of what I'm talking about here today, too. Um, I want to put, can you put that first slide up there? Yes. This is, um, <clears throat> I use this for some of my classes at the university. Uh, this is uh, on George Washington University's campus. It's the hippo mascot, and uh, this was put there roughly 20 years ago by Stephen Trachtenberg, who was the president of the university at that time. And if you flip to the plaque, this is the plaque, which you can't read, but I just want you to know there is a plaque. And if you flip to the next side, this is what that says. And so... <clears throat> Legend has it that the Potomac River was once home to these wondrous beasts. George and Martha Washington are even said to have watched them cavort in the river shallows from the porch of their beloved Mount Vernon on summer evenings. Credited with enhancing the fertility of the plantation, the Washingtons believed the hippopotamuses brought them good luck, and children on the estate often attempted to lure the creatures close enough to the shore to touch a nose for good luck. Now, if I remember reading correctly, uh, hippopotamuses cause more deaths in, in Africa than any other animal. And um, I have not lived in the Potomac area for long, but they don't, they, they don't and have never existed in that river system. Uh, Stephen Trachtenberg, and this is the story that I understand, put this on the university campus and put that plaque with it to communicate, even though you hear it at a university, it doesn't mean it's true. Okay. You have to have your brain in gear and your eyes open, and I think the same thing applies in the context of church. Okay. The, uh, I encourage you, and I will try to present as clearly as I can what, what I'm talking about in terms of this, but I encourage you to uh, be like the noble Bereans that, that uh, are written about, that you search the scriptures and understand if this is true, and do not depend on just my perspective because 
I may have left things off, or I may have missed things. I'm sure I've missed things. But you want to follow up with that as well. So I'm going to overview. I'm sure I will miss things, but I'm trying to do the best that I, that I could and with the time that I have. And you'll appreciate that in about when this water bottle winds up in about an hour and a half. So, <laughs> all right. So today we're looking at the subject of idolatry and what it is. Um, I find it interesting that uh, we are in VBS talking about construction and cranes because in essence this is what is going on with idolatry. We are constructing something to replace God. And I want to look at that in general, uh, what our relationship is with God, what, how it might be different uh, when we construct things, and how this applies not just to people who were carving things a long time ago, like this. This wasn't carved a long time ago, but it's something carved like this from what we do sort of in our present lives. All right. Um, why I picked this topic? Now, uh, I didn't pick it because I thought it would not be relevant to me, although I didn't expect it to be as relevant as it has been. But I lived overseas in Thailand for seven years. And in Thailand, um, Buddhas are all over the place. Uh, people have uh, spirit houses. Every piece of property, if this was a Thai community, every home here, every apartment here would have a spirit house that you would take and offer incense or some sort of food or drink offering to regularly. People wear amulets for good luck or for protection or these kinds of things. It's the whole idea of idolatry and graven images and all those, those are all over the place. So that was the world that I was in for many, many years to see uh, what life was like. And so I thought looking at this subject, maybe I, I would have a little different perspective on what this, than I don't see this generally here, at least physically it's not here. Um, the uh, verses in Isaiah, sort of with the second, uh, I'll read those here. It's about the carpenter who stretches out a line. He marks out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes on a piece of wood. He marks it with a compass. He shapes it into a figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses cypress wood or an oak and he lets it go strong among the trees of the forest. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes part of it and he warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. He makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over half he eats meat and he roasts it. And he is satisfied and he warms himself. Oh gosh, this is nice. <clears throat> and over the rest of it he makes a god, his idol. And he falls down and worships it and he prays to it. Deliver me for you are my god. And I thought, here is a block of wood. And we think... I mean, this, this uh, Ron Burke who carves is letting me borrow this. So this is a Santa Claus figure. This is not my personal home god or anything like that, just to, <laughs> just to let you know. Um, this, is, this is a carving that he, he, he has done, and it's of Santa Claus when it's all done. It will be of that. But I've always, it's always struck me, it's like, does that not make sense to people? You're, you're cutting a log, and you're carving half of it and bowing down to it. Or, and then the other part, you're cooking dinner on it. Or concrete, which we saw a lot of overseas. They, you pour mold 
Okay, we, we, we pour this and make bricks and build something with it, or we pour a patio and we walk around on it, and the other part we pour into an image and we worship that. This is, this is happening all the time. So part of the reason in selecting this was to just understand this subject a little better. And then the last part, I didn't expect it to apply quite as much, although that was why I, I was not going to choose it, but, but I didn't expect it to apply quite. So I want to read the verses um, that we have here. If you flip over to the, the next four slides of the verses in Romans that we're drawing from for, no, back, there we go. I think this is the beginning. So the verses from Romans that are part of the catechism, this is a little bit more. For the wrath of God is revealed from heavens against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature, creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. One of the things that we'll touch on as we go through here is people exchanged. They had revelation. They had general revelation provided to them through what God has created. They, that. Or they suppressed the truth. There was truth. They pushed it down. They didn't want that. We'll see that when we get a little bit further over. But um, I wanted to start off with that and the big picture of those verses as we, as we look at them. So I am a teacher. Um, and so generally how I approach teaching for myself is I ask questions and I ask questions of me and I try to answer those questions for me and then hopefully when I answer those or explain those to other people it makes more sense. Uh, that's not always the case but that's the idea. Uh, also in what I'm going to be talking about today I will try to, we're talking about God with a big G and God with a little g so I'll try to be clear when I can relative to that. But the topic of idolatry is big that's not a preface to we're going to be here a really long time. I'm just telling you it's, it's big. So we start all the way in Genesis. They're specifically mentioned with Laban and Rachel stealing the household gods, but it's before that. And, and this is just images and idolatry and those terms. And it goes through uh, Exodus with the, the golden calf. It goes through uh, the warnings of Exodus for the Ten Commandments. It talks about it all through history. Uh, and judges where there were idols and uh, the kings are evaluated by their uh, bringing idols or not re removing idols of different kinds all throughout their kingdoms. You go into the prophets. It's, it talks about it in Psalms. It talks about it in all the prophets and, and there's a lot in the prophets about this because they are addressing that subject very much so all over, all over the places that they are. And then through the gospels as the gospel spread and went into uh, different parts of the kingdoms you have in Ephesus, the temple to Artemis, and, and the places that these people lived, you had all kinds of gods that were worshipped. In Athens, where Paul makes his sermon, uh, 
he's making it and he starts off with, I've noticed you have a lot of gods here. Let me tell you about the one you don't know the name of. So he, it is all throughout and it goes all the way to Revelation. So it is a big, it's a big topic, which I didn't realize probably when I chose this. Can you warn me next time, Grady? Um, so I, I, in terms of <clears throat> understanding idolatry, the basic idea I started with was our interactions with God are grounded in relationship. Okay, so we're we're to call God Father. The the uh, the Lord's Prayer, our our God, our Father who art in heaven. So we are starting with relationship, and He calls in Scripture uh, us adopted children, sons. He says we are His bride. He says we are His people. There there is relationship in all of those things. And so I started off with that, and tried to understand. What is a proper relationship with God look like? Because idolatry is a distortion of that. That's that's how I sort of approach this. Uh, an improper idolatry is an improper relationship with God. So, what does a relationship with God look like, and and how does it relate to us? How does He relate to us, and how does He desire that we relate to Him? And in terms of what, uh, how God desires us to relate to him, when Jesus answered the question to the scribe about what the greatest commandment is, he touched on that. You're to love God with all of your heart, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. And that's, that's how God wants us to relate to him. And I know that all those things could be broken into pieces and separated into emotions and will and all this other kind of stuff, but we'll, we'll presume that it's safe to say God wants you to love him with all of you, 100%, the all, all for each of those, all mind, all soul, all strength, etc. So he wants us to relate to him and to be all is the key in, key in terms of that. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, that's really wispy. So um, maybe that's just because I'm a guy, but that's really wispy. What does it look like when, when God's talking about us relating to him? What does that involve, and how does God relating back to us in terms of things? So I looked at some facets of what, uh, what God said that we can, uh, he would like to see from us. Um, in John, uh, 1 John 5, 3, to love God is to keep his commandments. He would like to see obedience. Uh, we see many times where Jesus is spending time with God. He would like time and attention. Uh, we are singing this morning the worship music, and he likes that, and you see throughout Scripture, to worship to worship God. He would like to see that out of us. Giving uh, in the Old Testament with tithes and the New Testament with giving, uh, he doesn't need the stuff that we, he doesn't need our money. He, that's for us to see where our heart is more than for him to see how much we have. So that's, that's where he's coming from with that. But that's an evidence of love for, for God, that we are choosing to, to forego our own desires or, and, to give, and to give to him. And he would like to see our service. And I think the, the aspect of that is uh, the tangible action of how we interact and serve others in particular, is important. So I think of, you know, on Wednesday, going over and serving at the church. We are serving God through serving those people. So that's, that's a tangible way that we are relating to, we're relating to people, and we are showing love for God through that. Next, I looked at how does God love us in this relationship? And it, uh, I looked at, I'm trying to, 
I've tried to look at what he says to do, what, how he says to approach this rather than, rather than just uh, how it might seem. Because as we get further on in this, I have lots of thoughts about, I mean, we as people have lots of thoughts about how God should be or might be or how we would like him to be. And I think we really need to go to what does God say about this himself? Because otherwise we're just making something up, which is, we get a little further, idolatry. So, uh, God says that uh, his love for us is expressed in salvation. He sent his son. That's, that is an expression of his. It's a gift to us that he's made available, that, he, that Jesus came and walked among us, lived those years and suffered what he did is a sign of his love for us. So, salvation uh, himself. We're talking about the God who created the universe that and you think of David's psalm where he says, what is man that you give us any thought at all? I mean, what, we may think we're really cool, okay? But, I mean, the creator of the universe, I, I think no more about the ant walking across the concrete than it would seem like God, or bacteria, that God would think about us. But he does. He, he thinks about us. He's interested in us. He would like to spend time with us. He would like to know us. He dwells in us. Uh, we have, as we saw in James back some months ago, uh, there's wisdom for decisions. Uh, there's daily provision, food and clothing, the uh, birds of the air, the lilies of the field. We are clothed. We are fed. Um, we, have, uh, we saw Jesus deal with earthly challenges and deliverance to heal people from blindness, from leprosy, from medical conditions, from death. Uh, from demon possession. So these are things that God, you see Paul step into these and the other apostles as they go through Acts and the church, they're doing and involved in some of these things as well. We, we, God says that we can look to him for protection. Don't let your heart be troubled or afraid. And it's not just don't do that, like I might say, you don't need to because I've got this. That's God, that's God saying that in John 14. Identity. We have identity because we, he, he provides that to us. He tells us who we are. You are a son of God. You are a child of mine. You are an adopted child of mine. So he gives us identity that is in relation to him. We have his blessing. We were just singing about the blessing, blessing God. That's true. He has blessed us specifically. Not just everybody has rain that falls in their yard, and lots of it this week of late, but he blesses us, and he blesses us in many, many ways as we pause and reflect on that. So there's many things that God does to express his love for us. And so we see that, and that's sort of the relationship here. We, out of love, once we're brought into his family, relate to him, and we express these things. He, out of his love for us, based on his grace and mercy, shows his love for us in that way. And so we see, in a love relationship, we see those things happening. Now, I, I would be remiss to say we see these things, how God does love us, but that doesn't mean that we get everything we want or we get it in the time that we want it. So I, I, that's a side note, a caveat that I put there. Um, I think back in Daniel where the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are about to be thrown in the fiery furnace, and they say, our God is able, but... He may not choose to, to do this. He may not choose to save us. He did. But 
uh, that's not, it's not because we ask, we automatically get. That's not, that's not how God works. His, it's according to his purposes and it's according to his time. Uh, Abraham was told he was going to have a baby. 25 years after that is when Isaac was born, if I remember my math correctly. Uh, Paul had a thorn in the flesh that he prayed three times to have removed. And God said, I'm going to sustain you in this, but it's not going away. And so we can ask. God encourages us to ask, but that doesn't mean he's going to do it just because we've, we've requested that. So I think that's an important thing to side note here. So, uh, to understand, so what we were doing to understand idolatry was to understand a proper relationship with God and us. And that's where I started. And then I started looking at what God called idolatry. And it was interesting because what I found was the people who were going to idols, engaged in idolatry, were doing, they were looking for the same stuff, largely. Uh, how man expressed love for God, obedience, sacrifice, time, worship, service, etc., was the same way in which man expressed love for an idol. So if, if you'll put those, that table that's up... These are verses from, from mostly, largely the Old Testament, but it's talking about here are, here's what we do and how we express love for God. This is the same thing that God's saying these people are doing for their idol. Not, I mean, there are some different things, but it's not largely, totally different list. These are things, how people are expressing their love for God with worship, with service, with giving, is done by people who are doing that for an idol as well. Not, not, not a difference. And then what man trusts God to sort of provide back to him as a consequence of engaging with that idol, the list isn't that distinct either. They expect to be saved from something. Wisdom, they inquire of idols for wisdom, decisions, to help with decision making. Daily provision, you know, we, we want a good harvest, so we sacrifice. Uh, we want deliverance from an enemy, you see sometimes in the Old Testament where the idols of the, the uh, enemy were captured. Well, that's because they brought them with them. They were out on the battlefield to provide protection and support for the army that was, that was there. Uh, they are, they are, the sacrifices provide some sort of blessing or favor to the, the people who are engaged with that idol. So the list of things that were there, how love for God is expressed. If we look at the next list here, hopefully. How God says he loves us. We talked about some of this stuff that was over on the left-hand side, but how people expect the idol to love them. A lot of the things on that list are the same. So what, what people give to the idol out of love or out of respect or fear or whatever the motivation for an idol would be and what they expect from that is a different, it's not that different in many ways. And I would, just in reflecting, the issue of engaging with an idol is much more transactional. It's not out of love. I, I love God. God loves me, and there are certain things. In a love relationship, these things are given. And uh, I think in many idol, idolatry kinds of situations, this is a transactional. If I give this, then you'll give this. That's, that's what we see in a transactional kind of thing, which I think idolatry probably fits more into. So with that perspective in mind, idolatry 
when I was reflecting on it, was loving God with less than all of our heart, all of our soul, all our mind, all our strength, with less than our whole self. That, that, that sort of fit what idolatry was, reflecting on this. Um, we, we're loving God with part of us. We're reserving the rest for something else. And uh, it also involved faith in another for things instead of God. Those two things sort of encapsulated what it, what it stood out. So there were some things that helped me look at this all, as in all of me. The complete me is to love God. If 95% on a good day is loving God, then there's 5% loving something else that's not God. It's an other. And whatever the other is, is the idol that I have. For, for whatever purpose that I've, that I've got. And um, the other is what I look to when I, when I look to God for wisdom, which he says I can ask for that. Where else do I go to find that? Where else is it? And so when I, I think in this case, it's not that you can't get, quote, wisdom or good ideas from places. It's what's the ultimate place. That's the key. It's not I can't love my children, which you Hopefully you're happy to hear that since you're here. I would, <clears throat> but it's not that I don't love my children, but the ultimate love is for God. That's, it's the priority that you have in these things, what is ultimate in your life that is there. And so if I'm looking to uh, my job to provide for me instead of to God to provide for me through my job, I'm, I'm treating it in some ways as an idol. So that all and another on those lists uh, stood out to me. And so I looked at this a little further and I, uh, I sort of went through this, and then I thought of me. Surprising. And this is what the questions that I was posing to myself. Am I looking to obey somebody else? Uh, Do I give greater attention uh, or priority and time to someone else besides God? Uh, Do I lift high, praise the attributes of, or have deep gratitude to another? We're about to enter football season. Exalt, lift high, all those kinds of words sound really good. And it's not that we can't be happy for our team, but where does it stand in our life and our heart? Okay? I, I use that just because it's, it's upcoming, but any other group of things, anything else could be in that place. Do I forgo my desires and lay down my life or give sacrificially to another more than God? And I was thinking about that. I said, I think I can really give a lot sacrificially to me. So do I, do I really give sacrificially? Do I really treat him as superior to my needs, et cetera? Do I care for another more than I do God? Person, me, where, where am I in this equation? Do I, am I doing that? So I looked at that, and then I looked at the second part uh, here in idolatry part B. <clears throat> faith in another for things instead of faith in God for that. That, that can reveal idols. And... Uh, what's the other that's trusted? Do I value the presence of another and I think of more than God? Would I rather spend more time with a person than with God? Would I, who do I go to for wisdom? Do I look to another to meet my needs for protection and provision? We're in a, a system of government that wants to encourage that in some ways. But if, if I, am I looking to that for protection, provision? It is, it's how God provided, or is it just that's the end result of, of they're the ones that are doing that, and I should look to them for that? Do I trust in another? We're here in COVID season. Am I trusting God for my health? 
or am I trusting in doctors and medicine, all this kind of stuff? And this is not a statement on who's here or who wears a mask or any of that kind of stuff. This is just when, I, when it comes to health decisions or these kinds of things, who, who am I trusting more? Not that I don't take advantage of resources that I have available, but who am I trusting in truly to help me be well, to help me be healthy, to help me live longer, et cetera? Do I seek identity from another source? Um, that's, that's a hard one to pin on. Am I, am I maybe um, more resting in the identity that I'm a child of God or more that I'm a professor or more that I'm a father or more that I'm from a particular city or I'm a fan of a certain team or whatever? Where is my identity and is it resting in something other than my relationship with God? Uh, who, who do I want the blessings of more than God? That, that's, that's revealing, too. Do I, would, I, would I be happy with just the blessings of my boss? I mean, God is our boss, but I'm thinking a little more earthly boss level. I, is, is their blessing a bigger deal to me than the blessing that God has, that God has for me? So, loving God with less than all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, with less than our whole self, means we're loving someone else and, and, and other um, I don't think that this involves monastic life. Okay, that's not because God God is telling us to love others. Theoretically, others need to be around there to, to engage in that. So we can love. We have responsibilities. We do that. So th- that was sort of where I got with what is the where where we are in terms of idolatry, and the question that came to mind next was: So do we not know better? Do we not know better than this? And that was not an encouraging answer. Um, we have been since the, the Garden of Eden going the other direction. So how can you have a better relationship with... You think that more relationship with God, this would disappear how can you have a better relationship with God than you're walking around to him in the garden and you're sinless? Okay? How can you have a better relationship? So we have, since the beginning, and, and until this earth ends, we will go in our own way. We, we see verses along that, but we rebel against God. Uh, you see this with Adam and Eve. You saw, I, I keep thinking of Exodus, where... They've, they've had all these plagues happen. They've been freed from the city, uh, from the Egyptians. They crossed the Red Sea, and then a couple weeks or months later, they're building a golden calf. You know, um, the, the, uh, they have in the midst of their, the layout of their uh, campground, if you want to call it that, the, the tabernacle in the very center where the presence of God as a fire and a cloud is there regularly, if not every day. And still they're grumbling, complaining, going off in other directions. Their heart is not drawn to him. They're saying, hey, Moses, you, you, uh, you be right in front of us here, and we'll hold you out. You can take care of it. Bring anything he tells us that you think is important back to us. That's, that's what's going on. When the temple was there, you're reading uh, Ezekiel. God, God's glory is in the temple, and in a, some other rooms in the temple, they're worshiping the sun god. Same day, same time. The glory of God is there, and we're over in another, some other guys are over in another room, priests worshiping the sun god. And some others are over in another room, 
70 of them, if I remember correctly, and they have a bunch of drawings of creepy things and creeping things and this kind of stuff on the wall. They're worshiping that. So this is not, we, we, we would like to think that those are other, okay? Uh, John uh, 3.19, the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And we would like to think those people, those people are that way, but us people are not. But I don't, I don't think that's the case. The us people is us. And the same bent that those people have is the same bent that we have current, currently in us right now. Uh, all of us like sheep have gone astray from Isaiah. Everyone has turned. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's our bent. And if you look in Judges, for example, they'll, they'll be doing great. And then they spiral into everybody's doing their own thing. And it's got nothing to do with God. Everybody goes their own way. That is our bent, to rebel, to go away from God. That doesn't put us in a very uh, good-feeling place. And so um, at that point, we could all feel really safe because I'm not, I'm not this, again, I've mentioned just this is not my idol household God that I'm going to take home and we're going to carve a little bit off it and have some lunch, cook lunch with it or anything. That's not, that's not where we're coming at here. But um, we adapt Okay, so we don't have these kinds of things anymore. We haven't molded them out of concrete or plastic or whatever they're doing with now. But we have, if you want to think of it as, we have idolatry 2.0 or 3.0. So now the idols are in our heart. And I don't know if that, that probably doesn't make it easier for us to figure out what they are. But uh, we now have that, and so the idols are in our heart. And in Ezekiel... Uh, 14.4 and 14.7 talk specifically about they've taken idols into their heart. It's, it's not okay to have them out there, so we don't have them out there anymore. Now we have them inside. So the plus for that is I could have a lot of them in here and you can't tell, so that's, that's the real plus socially, but, but uh, God can see in there too. So we have replaced, uh, they're not visible images, but we are devoted on our relationship to someone other than God. And so, going back to the definition, sort of the big picture definition, idolatry is loving God with less than all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and it's faith in another for the things instead of God. So, I mentioned the ways God refers to the relationship with us earlier, father, child, husband with the bride, king with his people, and so... If you look in Ecclesiastes where the people, his people, his people who are called by his name are engaged in idolatry, he calls it adultery. They are a, an adulterous relationship. They are dishonoring him. They, he calls it treachery. It's not, it, he doesn't treat it as something like, oh, that's, that's too bad. You just don't know better. You know, he doesn't treat it like that. It's a serious thing against him and against his, his name. Even more so, maybe, because they are to be his representative through which blessing is coming to the earth. Your people, called by your name, are doing these things. Um, so there is good news, though. There's good news. Though we are faithless, he's faithful. And uh, in Romans 3.3, 3, what if some were unfaithful? Does their unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? No. He is faithful. 
in, in the face of and the knowledge of and the awareness of our bent toward this and our, our heart to engage in it once we have thought of he is faithful. And so if we look at what God said about himself to Moses, the Lord, and this is from Exodus 34, 6 to 9, the, God tells you his character. Explicit. This is who I am. The Lord, the Lord. This is God speaking. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished, and he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. Now, we don't like the latter part of that, but we like and can trust trust in all of it, but we like and, and appreciate the fact that he says that he is faithful. He is loving and he is faithful. And we, we need that. And so his heart is for us to come back to him. Not, I'm going to pop you with a stick. That's not the point. I want you to come back. And in, in the prophets, you see Ezekiel, where he talks for chapters about how the nation of Israel is an adulterous wife, and he is, he is, there will be discipline involved, and there will be other things that are, that are undesirable going on there, but he talks about that, but when it talks about him, his heart was for return, they shall, Ezekiel 37, they shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things, or with any of their transgressions, but I will save them from all their backsliding in which they've sinned, and I will cleanse them, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. The desire God has is for that relationship to be restored, not to be cut off. Relationship to be restored. In Hosea, God says to Hosea, I want you to marry an adulterous woman. Or a, well, she wasn't married then, but a, a, a wanton woman. And that's going to illustrate the relationship that God has with Israel. You know, I have engaged with you, Israel, and yet you're running around with anybody who comes by. And so, but at the end of Hosea in chapter 14, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Return to the Lord. This is God pleading to come back. This is not, I'm going to cut things off and go your own way. Israel was already going her own way, so this is not, that that was not. But there's hope. because God knows this, because he's aware of this, and because he helps. So he has a heart for us that is love. He has a heart for forgiveness, a heart for rest, restoration. And um, so as we look at the issue here of idolatry, and I was reflecting on this myself, and I'm thinking, so where might I be idolatrous? So I, I would have made a list, but I didn't, you know... I thought maybe better of that, or I thought maybe there'd be things to add to that before I got to the service uh, this morning. So, but I was I was looking at that, and I thought, if we ask God, if we ask ourselves, where might my heart be idolatrous? You would hope that if if I knew those things, I wouldn't be doing that. That's not. I don't think that's the case. I think we would we would very much be doing that. But I think we really have to ask God. Our heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? We don't understand ourselves. We need to ask God, where, where might I be engaging in these things that are unbeknownst to me? 
And can you reveal those? Can you clarify what I'm engaging in, what I'm doing that might be idolatry in terms of what I'm obeying, what I'm giving, what I'm, what I'm giving to something else, how I'm looking to other to provide for my needs or to provide blessing or favor or protection or provision. Where am I doing that? Can you show me, God, so that I will have an awareness of where to ask for help from you? So in, in summary, uh, idolatry, loving God with less than all heart, all, all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, less than our whole self, faith in another rather than God. And so I wanted to end, can you put the Romans 21 and 25 up there? This is, this is the verse that uh, is in the, the little catechism book, but I wanted to read it in a, a little different way first, and then we'll read this as we close out. <clears throat> so what is idolatry? And I'll read this. Although they knew God, they did not honor him. They honored another as God, or give thanks to him, but they gave thanks to another. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the, the creature or another rather than the creator. The whole issue of all, all of you, not all of you, all of you, all of your person and where it is directed. Is it directed to God or is it directed in, in a part to an other? Those, that's the question we deal with when we look at the issue of idolatry. And so I would love to have had the lesson like, especially when I was preparing this and it was taking longer than I really planned, I was thinking, next time I want the definitional, like, should we do idolatry? And I could say, no, don't do idolatry. That's, that's the lesson for today. Um, this, went, this is a little different vein, but I think we, we, because we can't gauge where we are in this, we can't ask questions that help us understand. We have to ask God for help, and he is willing to help. He is willing to help us understand ourselves, helping to reveal those things, where we might be engaging in this in our lives, because I don't know that we can do it. We, we don't even know to do that to begin with or where to look, and then he's the only one that can help us to, to give that up. And I really think he, he does that by replacing us replacing whatever that idol is with himself. That's, that's the way it goes away. It's not, you don't choose to push this away, you choose to replace it with, with God himself. So understanding God and who he is and what he has to say about these things. His character is why we can depend on him more, why we can trust him for these things. So um, let me close here real quick and <clears throat> Father God, we, we look at this subject, it is semi-foreign to us. We don't see lots of these things around here, at least in our nation, but yet they're so ingrained in us and, and who we are, who we, um, how we live our lives, where we spend our time, what to give our attention to. We, we, are, we are full of uh, idols as a nation and, and as individuals within that nation. And uh, we thank you that you, your heart is to restoration of relationship. And we just pray that just the, as the song was sung at the beginning, that you will have no rival and no equal in our lives. 
And we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you desire relationship, and we pray that we will desire it more and more uh, ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. You'll stand as we get ready to sing this closing song.
that we had together to lift your name high. We pray that through our life and words and deeds through the rest of this day and this week ahead that we will reflect you and the glory that we've sung, sung of in our relationships, uh, in all facets of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.